listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Wow, this is, this is some big stuff this week. We kind of had it easy last week with a little fun story, but this week we are going to jump into the deep end. But as you're turning to John 10, I know this about you, that you've got some strange beliefs, and you've got some strange beliefs that you believe with a great amount of certainty, that nothing I could probably present to you because, because, because you believe. So I began making a list of my childhood you swallow your gum, it'll stay in your system how many years? Yeah, it's not true. If you're cracking your knuckles, you're going to get arthritis. They're telling us that's not true, see mother? If you pull out a gray hair, how many will grow back in its place? Oh, see, some here too, some say three. See, they're still lying to us. Going out in the cold with wet hair will make you sick. Internet says that's not true. Terrible things happen in threes. Yeah. I've always told you better put your toboggan on. And one time I got a spanking for going outside without my toboggan on. And I I showed my mother, mother, that you lied to me, that you do not lose most of your body heat out of your head. But she believed me, but she said it's because I disobeyed. And uh, she spanked my bottom anyway. But there are some things that you actually believe that with some certainty, probably a little bit more, and... There's evidence to it. One, that you'll actually make it home after church. How do I know that? You've made plans for this evening, and you'll get ready for tomorrow morning. You believe probably with certainty that you'll get paid at the next paycheck, pay period, because you're making plans for how you're going to spend that and what you're going to do with it. That your kids will go to school tomorrow. We're kind of crossing our fingers with that one. A lot of sickness been going around. You're going to go home. You're going to pick out clothes. You're going to get lunches together. But even with 100% certainty, we know those things may or may not happen. I mean, my dad was one that would always say something and then say, Lord willing, that, man, we make plans, but we don't know with the complete certainty of certain things. We may or may not make it home this afternoon. Man, the next paycheck, something could drastically happen. Our kids could get sick this evening and they miss school. Well, then how certain are you about your salvation? Or I might ask, how saved are you? I mean, what is your level of certainty of how saved you really are? So as you begin to think about that question, we're going to pick up in John chapter 10, verse 22. Uh, Clint left off last week at verse 21. And what you need to know is about two months has passed. It's around September, October. We're now in the month of December when we find the next scene with Jesus. It begins in verse 22 with saying at the time, it was the Feast of Dedication that took place at Jerusalem. And it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple on the colonnade or the porch of Solomon. It was on the east side of the the temple. It overlooked the Kedron Valley into the Mount of Olives. And it says that they're celebrating the Feast of Dedication. Well, here's what's interesting. You're actually familiar with this feast. And if you love history, you're going to love this next part because you're going to go back. Do you remember Alexander the Great? The man that wanted to conquer the world. 
Well, he dies and they divided up his kingdom into four different areas. Well, one of those areas was called the region of the Seleucids or the Seleucid Empire. And the man that rose to power was named Antithicus Epiphanes. Strange name, but a crazy leader. He was an Hellenistic Greek king from Syria. He ruled from about 175 to 164 BC, and he loved everything Greek. He loved Greek culture. He loved Greek food, their religion. He loved worshiping all of the other gods, and he hated the people of God, and especially the Jewish religion. And he wanted to humiliate and to wipe all Jewish people from the face of the earth. Well, Antithicus goes then and captures Jerusalem. He kills 80,000 men. He sells 80,000 into slavery. He makes it illegal to worship Yahweh, their God. In fact, if you are found reading the Torah, you could be sentenced to death. If a woman had her child circumcised, he would have you and your child murdered. Well, then he goes to the temple. He goes in the temple and he tears down the altar to Yahweh in the Holy of Holies, the most sacred place for the Jew. And he puts up an altar to Zeus. Well, then it gets even worse. The one thing that the Jews would stay away from would be pigs and swine. So he started sacrificing pigs on this Greek uh, God of the altar to Zeus. And so he is completely humiliating And he wants to devastate the Jews. And they find themselves without hope. Man, there's nothing else to look forward to. They have been conquered. Well, outside Jerusalem, there's a group of people named the Hasmoneans. And the leader of the Hasmoneans was a man named Mattathias. And Mattathias was a high priest. And he tried to lead an uprising, but he failed. Well, a few years later, he had a son named Judas. And Judas rises to power, and he was given the nickname, the hammer. Well, that word, the hammer, is translated into the word Maccabees. Hopefully now it starts becoming a little more familiar. So Judas Maccabees leads a rebellion, and he defeats Antithicus in 164 B.C. So after this defeat, he goes into the temple, and he tears down the altar of Zeus. He reconsecrates the temple. He then lit and had the menorah lit again in the temple. In fact, if you read the Talmud, it it has some extra kind of curricular uh, activities that go on. These were, they're not in the canon of our Bible. It's kind of folklore legend. But the story goes that they only had enough oil for one night. They didn't have time to go through the purification process to make more oil. Well, the, the story goes that they lit those menorahs but they burned for eight days. So this celebration, the Feast of Dedication, you actually know it as Hanukkah. And so it's this feast, it's not instituted, it's not in the Hebrew Bible, God doesn't put it in place, but it was this national, but also a very religious holiday. The closest thing we would have would really be our 4th of July. But for them, man, this was a celebration that combined nationalism and the religious beliefs. But think about this. This is what they're celebrating. They're celebrating freedom. They're celebrating deliverance. It's a religious and a national holiday wrapped up into one. 
But the only one that can really bring them true freedom and true deliverance is actually walking right among them. So he's walking along this porch, and notice what happens in verse 24. It says the Jews, they gathered around. That means they encircled him so he could not escape. And they said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, then tell us plainly. So they come to Jesus and they say, listen, we just need you to speak plainly to us. We need you to say in the simplest of words, I am the Messiah. Listen, the reason they want him to state his identity clearly is not so that they can believe. They're looking for evidence to condemn him. So Jesus, he's going to answer them, but he wants to then tear down every single obstacle they have to believing, all excuses. So look what he says in verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, but you do not believe. So first he says, listen, I told you, but you wouldn't listen. You wouldn't believe me. Because think about all the things they have heard. John 3, John the Baptist, the one they knew about crying out in the wilderness, testifying Jesus is the Messiah. John chapter 7, remember the Feast of Booths. Isaiah 55, he takes that, applies it to himself, and he begs the crowd, come to me and you will never thirst again. John 8, he stood up once again and he applies Isaiah 4 to himself saying, I am the light of the world. If you will believe in me, you will never walk in darkness. Just last week, he applied the messianic promises that God will provide a shepherd. He stands up and he says, I am the one, I am the good shepherd. But there's even more evidence. He goes on in verse 25 and says, The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. He says, so not only would you not believe what I was saying, you will not even believe the signs. Think about the signs that John has recorded so far. John 2, he turns water into good wine. John 4, he heals the official son. and He doesn't even show up. He just does it from a distance. John 5, he heals the man at the pool that had been lame for over 40 years. John 6, he feeds 5,000 men, about fifteen to 20,000 people with five loaves of bread and two small fish, and then he walks on water. John 9, we saw two weeks ago, he heals a man that was born blind, and he heals him of that. So Jesus says, listen, I've told you, and if you would just look, there is plenty of proof. So what he's going to do, he's going to show them why they do not believe. In verse 26, he looks at this group of men and he says, you do not believe because, and he's about to give the reason. And you see what it is? You do not believe because you are not among my sheep. But notice Jesus does not say, he is not saying you are not my sheep because you do not believe. He says, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. And listen, I've been thinking about this for a couple of weeks now. It just seems strange that he would say that to a bunch of people who do not believe. I mean, it's caused me to be uncomfortable with this. I even thought about just moving right on. You wouldn't have noticed it. But then I thought, man, if Jesus is teaching this, then we have to look at it. So why would Jesus say that? Why would he say the reason you do not believe is because you're not my sheep? 
Why would he say that to them? And I think there's two reasons. So one, just to recap, remember, they are refusing to believe. And what are they refusing? The Old Testament prophecies. John the Baptist, his testimony. Jesus' own words and his works. So Jesus has given them a plethora of evidence. So the truth is, this is not an excuse for rejecting Jesus. They don't use this. They cannot use this as an excuse. They cannot say, well, listen, I guess we're not sheep, so I'll never believe. So here's reason number one. Anyone looking for an excuse to ignore Jesus or not to believe in him, they will always find one. Because we will always rationalize what we have already made up in our minds. You ever met anyone that doesn't believe we landed on the moon? You may believe that and not believe that. It doesn't matter what you say, their mind is made up. Or my grandmother, every time she drops salt, she's throwing it over her shoulder. I say, Granny, you cannot believe that you're going to get bad luck if you drop some salt. But she believed it with every ounce of her being. Because when we don't want to believe something, we will always find an excuse. And that's exactly what they're doing. But the second reason is Jesus is showing them their complete inability to save themselves. Unless God gives them the ability to hear the truth of Jesus, they will not be able to hear and to respond. So here's what Jesus wants them and us to know about faith. That you and I... We are utterly helpless to believe until God does something supernatural. He has to turn your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Because think about it. Can a blind man make himself, will himself to see? Nope. Can a lame man will or make his legs work? No. And next week we will see, can a dead man will or make himself come back to life? And the answer is no. So a blind and a dead sinner cannot give themselves sight or life. Jesus is saying that no human being in the world on his own has the moral or the spiritual ability to come to Christ unless God the Father draws them and gives them the desire and the ability to place their trust in Christ. The faith is a gift to receive, not an action that we muster up on our own. That God must grant us eyes to see and minds to understand and hearts to believe. And that is why we pray that. So Jesus is saying that faith, it is this supernatural, life-shaking, recreation thing that happens within us that was not already there. So then how do you know you're a sheep? I mean, that's what I would be wanting to know. You tell me I'm not believing because I'm not a sheep. Well, tell me how I know. Well, look at what he says in verse 27. Three things. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So they listen. They're personally known and they follow. But obedience doesn't make you a sheep. Obedience confirms that you are. But here's Here's then what we do. Here's, I think, how we respond to this. We, we don't go through life asking, man, am I sheep? Am I sheep? What you do instead, you turn your eyes and ears to Jesus. And when he speaks, if you're drawn to listen and to follow, 
You're a sheep. And this is evidence that you belong to him. So notice then what the sheep get. In verse 28, I give them eternal life. It's a gift. It's not something that is earned. It is an undeserved gift. And so he says, here's the process. God calls you. He opens your eyes. He opens your ears to the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. And in faith, you respond and you accept that truth. And then when we're saved, you receive a promise. It's an inheritance that is held for you. And then a promise is eternal life. But if you've ever had a promise made to you, man, how secure, how reliable is that promise? Sometimes promises are broken, sometimes they're kept. But when it comes to the promise of salvation and eternal life, how secure is that promise? How saved are you? Well, Jesus tells us in the last half of 28 through 30, he says, you will never perish No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. I and the Father are one. Man, isn't that just this incredible picture that the security of these stupid, wandering sheep that can't do anything on their own, that as Clint said, will eat themselves to death, but not they will eat themselves. They will eat too much. Able to clear that up. That No, they won't cannibalize themselves. But, but sheep, left to their own, they're useless. That the security of the sheep is not in the strength of the sheep. It's found in the strength of the shepherd. So here's the truth. If it's left up to me, if it is left up to you, you would fall away and you would perish even after coming to faith. We do not have the power to save ourselves or to keep ourselves saved. You can't do it. But it's the power and the faithfulness of Christ that seals the believer's salvation, not the faithfulness of the believer. But if you're like me, I know what you're thinking. I know I can already see you turning your Bibles because you got like seven verses you're ready to come up and talk about this with. Because you're thinking, well, does that not mean that God wants me to be a part of this? Does this mean he just has it all figured out and Sometimes, maybe I'm a sheep, maybe I'm not. No. Because when you look at Scripture as a whole, one of my favorite parallel passages to this is actually the book of Jude. Jude is a short little book. In verse 21, it tells us to keep ourselves in love with God. It's something you're commanded to do. But then three verses later, you always do that, remembering and resting in the truth that says... He is the one that keeps you from stumbling and will present you blameless. And so I saw a great picture of this. I was coming out of Brookshire's this week. There was this mother, and she was holding on to the hand of her little girl. And you could tell she had not learned to walk along, like maybe that morning. But man, I'm telling you, this little girl is working as hard as she can to make those legs work. She's trying to figure it out. And that little mom uh, mom is holding on to that little girl's hand, and she is working with all her might. But her security from falling was not in her ability to walk. It wasn't even in her ability to hold on to her mother's hand. But her security was in the hand of the one holding her. In fact, I heard that mama say, Baby, if I let go, you're going to fall flat on your face. And I have no doubt that would happen. 
Listen, that little girl is working with all that she can to walk. But her security is not in how well she could walk or even her grip on her mother's hand. It was in the one holding her. So Jesus is saying that when he saves you, he saves you for good. When he makes you alive, you'll never die. When he makes and gives you sight, you'll never go blind. When he gives you the ability to walk, you'll never be lame. And when he adopts you, you will never be alone. And what he is saying is once in grace, always in grace. I mean, doesn't that just lift your spirit to know that your salvation isn't left up to you? The security of that is held by someone else because you don't have the power to save yourself. I don't have the power to save myself or to keep myself saved. But we are held tightly by the one who can. And it's a picture of the son holding you and the father holding you both. So notice how they respond. The Jews pick up stones again to stone him. I've wondered all week, where do these stones come from? They're in the temple. I mean, do they have them like stacked up to the side? Or they always carry them in their pockets? Where are these stones? But they are ready to crucify him this way. So Jesus turns. This is so great. He, he says, well, hold on. Before you do that, let me ask you one thing. He says in verse 32, I've shown you many great works from the Father. I just, before you throw a stone, I just need to know from my own conscience, which one are you stoning me for? So then they look at him and they say, the Jews said, it's not for the good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy because you, being a man, are claiming or make yourself God. So this is, it's not the works. For some reason, they're okay with a man that can heal a blind man, that can give a blind man sight, that can walk on water and feed fifteen to 20,000 people. Some way in their mind, that's okay. But he says what they're upset is that you're claiming to be God. But I'm thinking, but only God could do those things. Because that's exactly what Jesus is claiming. Because think, the laws of nature, they obey him. Sickness leaves people's bodies at his commands. Next week, we get to watch a dead man come out of the grave by his command. So what Jesus does, he's going to show them just how hardened their hearts are in verse 34. And Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I said that you are gods? Because remember, these guys were experts of the law. They had memorized massive parts of Scripture. The Torah, they would have had it completely memorized. Probably the Psalms. They spent their entire life on this. In fact, this was a scene you could probably hear and see when he said, you are gods. They would have been going, wait, okay, I know that one. Wait, that's going to be a Psalm. I believe it's chapter 80. Someone says, no, no, 82, remember? Verse 6, and they got it. Because listen to this psalm. It said, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked, meaning you gods? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Amen, I've been thinking of Vincent all week on this. The ministry that they're doing. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. Those people you're leading, they walk in darkness and all the foundations of the world are shaken. And I said, you are gods. 
sons of the Most High, all of you. But because of your unfaithfulness, nevertheless, like men, you will die and fall like all princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth. You shall inherit the nations. So people that God had appointed to rule and to judge were often referred to as gods. The word Elohim. So this is a point. He said, oh, before you do that, don't forget that there were some men that God himself referred to as God's sons of the Most High. They were God's representatives. Even though they failed, God said he is going to judge them. So Jesus then says in verse 35, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture can't lie, can't be broken, then why are you saying to me, to him, whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God. So Jesus is saying, listen, God the Father, he, he used men that he called representatives. He called them God. But despite their exalted status, they failed miserably, and God brought judgment, and he punished them. Well, if I was no God, if I couldn't do this, then why is God blessing all that I've done. He's saying, look at the evidence. Look at what I have done. Let the testimony stand for itself. The evidence is clear. I could not do these things if I was not God. So they refused to believe and they're ready to stone him. But what I love is how gracious Jesus is to these Jews. They have the stones in their hand ready to throw. And look at what he says to them in verse 37. If I'm not doing the works of the Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe, believe the works, look at the evidence that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. I mean, you see the graciousness of Jesus that several times they have tried to kill him and he's still calling them to believe. So listen, if you're someone that's not yet believed, or maybe you know someone, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a family member that's yet to come to faith. You know, the invitation is always to believe. And anyone that turns their ears and their eyes to Jesus humbly, Jesus is faithful to grant them the faith to believe always. So there's a choice. Turn to Jesus or turn against him. And Jesus gives this call to these men once again, but notice what they do in verse 39. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped their hands. They continued in their unbelief. They found another reason not to believe. They refused and they refused. But don't you love it? The time isn't appointed by God the Father, so he escapes. But then John concludes with a contrast that he wants you to see. In verse 40, it says he went around or across the Jordan uh, to the place where John the Baptist had been baptizing at first. And remember, John the Baptist, he's already been beheaded. And, they re and there they remained. And they came to him, to Jesus, and they said, John did no sign, meaning he didn't perform any miracles. But everything that John said about you, this man, it was true. And many believed in him there. So he crosses Jordan, he finds a very different group of people that John the Baptist never performed a miracle, but he was still having influence in people's lives because they remembered 
what he was telling them. They remembered how he would witness and talk about the teachings in, of Jesus. And it says they believed. You know, there's so many things that, man, we could take from this passage today. You know, when you look at the Jews, it's really sad. They had ample reason to believe. They had his words. They had the testimony of others. They had the writings of the Old Testament. Even his miracles. But they are always looking for a reason not to believe. And when you do that, you will always find one. You see, that's why it's called faith. It's not called proving. You'll always have some doubts. Trust me. You may never have them all answered. But if you're always looking for a reason not to believe, you will always find one. But when you look at those across the Jordan, in fact, I wrote down they had the same evidence, but you know what? They didn't even have that. They had less. But they turned their eyes and ears toward Jesus. They heeded his calling, and they became sheep. So here's where we began this morning. How saved are you? If you don't know, don't go around worrying about asking if you're a sheep or not. That's not the question he wants you to ask. But you turn your eyes and your ears toward Jesus, and if you are drawn to listen and to follow, God is doing something supernatural in your life. Ask him to grant you the faith to believe, and the promise is that he will always do that. Do not harden your heart any longer. Stop looking for an excuse not to believe because you'll always find one. Take that step of faith. But if you are, I mean, this morning I hope you would rest in the truth of just how secure you are. That once in grace, always in grace. That when your faith seems frail and weak and life begins piling on and you feel like you might lose your grip, Remember that Jesus is holding you and nothing, not even you, can pull you from his grip. And then what do we do? Man, we go from here and we continue proclaiming the wondrous truth of Jesus Christ, just like John the Baptist, so that others will believe. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.